if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Indeed it is, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It is seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Friday, the 11th morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2020. We want to tell you what we know as we know it, but we just got a report in that there's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center in New York City. One report said, and we can't confirm any of this, that a plane may have hit one of the two towers of the World Trade Center. But again, you're seeing the live pictures here. We have no further details than that. We don't know anything about what they have concluded happened there this morning. But we're going to find out and, of course, make sure that everybody knows on the air. These are, of course, the two twin Trade Center buildings that are down at the foot of Manhattan, that they really are the beacons of New York. It was there that there was the explosion a couple of years ago uh, brought about by terrorists. We've, that's all gone through the courts. But this, we don't know anything about. We don't know about anything that has happened here other than the fact that there's obviously been a major incident there. And we're going to go to a special report now from ABC News. This is an ABC News special report. Now by the entire ABC network. Uh, Good Morning America was in progress in the East Coast and the Midwest, but we're joined by the entire network just to show you some pictures at the foot of New York City. This is at the World Trade Center. Obviously a major fire there, and there has been some sort of explosion. We don't fully know the details. There is one report, as of yet unconfirmed, that a plane has hit of the World Trade Center, and you can see that there is smoke there coming out of at least two sides of the building. And as you said, there are two towers, the tallest structures in Manhattan, on the island of Manhattan. We're trying to get people on the telephone to see what more we can learn. We have no idea if it was a plane. Was it in any sense deliberate? Was it an accident? It does seem to be that there is considerable and, and truly terrifying damage on some of those floors at the top. This angle is a little deceptive. As you know, there are two Trade Center towers, and the second tower there is hidden behind uh, the first this is uh, really almost the picture postcard of New York City. Um, it's the, uh, that and the Empire State Building, I guess, are the two most recognizable symbols of New York. There you can see uh, the two, well, 
we had there for just briefly the other angle of the World Trade Center towers, but this is uh, confined to one of the towers on the upper floors. Uh, these buildings, uh, I think they're 110 stories each, so this would be in the uh, in the top 15 or 20 floors there. You mentioned when I go back, places, we all know years ago there was that. And I listen and I watch to the coverage of that morning 19 years ago today. I'm taken aback by the calmness of the voices in the very beginning. Uh, the timestamp on the audio slash video that I'm playing for you right now, you only get the audio version, is 8.54. So it's eight minutes after the plane struck the North Tower. And at that moment, it was calm with the exception of those who were in the immediate vicinity. But those who were watching it on screen, including live television anchors like those you were just hearing on Good Morning America, for them, it was calm because no one knew, A, what had really happened. Was it a bomb? Was it an accidental bomb, an accidental explosion? Was it an intentional bomb? Was it not a bomb? Was it an airplane? Some people said they saw an airplane flying low in the area. Was that an accident? Was that intentional? The calmness struck, strikes me when I go back and listen. So A was they didn't know what had really happened, and B, they had no idea what was coming. Eight minutes after the first plane struck the tower, the first tower, we were still about eight minutes away from number two. And that is when everyone realized the gravity of the situation. This could not be two separate accidents. And these were not just accidental explosions from some sort of a, an event or another on one of the upper floors. That America was indeed being attacked. The calmness followed by the chaos is what strikes me. I thank you for joining us uh, for literally the last 18 years on this day, I have been on the air, um, and I have done a 9-11 commemorative broadcast. And the reason I have done that for 18 years on various stations um, is because of the pledge that we made in the hours and in the days while they were still looking through the rubble to, to find survivors and eventually to know there would be no more survivors, but to look for bodies, to recover the remains of the, those who lost their lives. In the days and weeks and months after that, we all made a pledge that we will never forget. And I really want to keep that pledge. And I know that the passage of time heals all wounds. It's why... For example, when we look back at other atrocities in American history or human history, we look back at them with curiosity rather than with uh, overt sadness. We look back at them with an interest in what happened rather than the feelings of the gravity of what happened. Um, you understand. I mean, there's a reason why that, that old adage exists, that time heals all wounds. I don't want time to heal these wounds. I want 
the 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 phrase, the slogan, the pledge that we made that we will never forget that found its way onto T-shirts and onto bumper stickers with pictures and images and silhouettes of the two towers in the skyline. I want that phrase and that pledge to be maintained. We can never forget. Now, 30, 40, 50 years removed from 9-11-2001, will it remain as vivid? Probably not, as those of us who were alive to watch it die off and hand the reins to the next generation behind us. If they didn't experience it themselves, will it mean quite as much? Maybe not. But if that is the case, it should not be for lack of our trying to impart upon the generations behind us what happened that day and what that really meant. Our world changed 19 years ago this morning. You know, I mentioned 18 times previous, or uh, this is the 18th time, of course, because it started on the first anniversary that I have done a broadcast like this. And our world changed in so many extraordinary ways. And not the least of those ways is intrinsic. It's internal within many of us. I gave a speech last night at the Avon Avon Lake uh, Republican Club meeting. And I was there ostensibly to talk about the election, to talk about you know issues going on in our country today that are political in nature. After all, it's a Republican Club meeting. But I told the organizers uh, that I wanted to speak about 9-11 as well. And I did what I intended. I, I, I managed to weave the two things together somewhat. Um, but the story that I told last night is, is a story that I've repeated on these airwaves for many, many years since that day. And that is that it woke me up. 9-11-01 woke me up from a political stupor in which I lived daily. I was politically agnostic. I was born into a Democrat family, so I was raised a Democrat by mom and dad to the extent that they talked politics with me, not too much. So I voted Democrat when I turned 18. I voted for Bill Clinton in 1992. I just, whatever. I was completely politically um, disinterested. But on September 11, 2001, which was three weeks after the birth of my first child, in mid-August 2001, um, something sparked in me that had never been there before. And I've never been the same since. Now, I'm not trying to personalize this. But that's all that I can do is speak about what kind of a change it brought about in me. I became politically active for the first time. I became more interested in the history of the religion that was responsible for the motives and the actions taken by those who attacked us on that day. I began to study it. I began to study the history of terrorism. I began to study the uh, American political history, more particularly in recent years, but going back to a couple of decades, going back to the uh, uh, the uh, uh, embassy in Tehran in which Americans were taken hostage, I went back and started looking at all of the things that led us to that moment with the 
intention of learning more and hoping that others would learn more so that we recognize signs and that we recognize evil. We learn what jihad means. We learn why it is practiced so that we can find a way to make sure that this type of thing is never again repeated in the United States and if we can control it in any way, measurably, uh, around the world. So 9-11 changed me, and it changed, I know, millions of other people. And I like to, every year on this anniversary, when the anniversary does indeed occur on a weekday, Again, it's occurred, of course, on Saturdays and Sundays where I haven't been live, and sometimes we'll talk about it on 9.10 or on 9.12 or on 9.09 uh, or whatever the case might be. But for 18 straight years, I've invited people to tell me how it changed their life and your recollections from that day, and I'm going to do that today. We have just one guest who's going to join us, and it is specific to this uh, commemoration. In just about 10 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Chris DeRico who is with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Tunnel to Towers, of course, commemorates the life and the sacrifice of Stephen Siller, a New York City fire to, uh, fireman who gave his life in a story and in a tale of unimaginable um, determination, uh, like so many other first responders who lost their lives that day. But Stephen Siller's is very unique. And Chris DeRico is going to join us to talk about Tunnels to Towers, Tunnel to Towers, uh, coming up. He's, jo- he's joined me on the air every year at about this time for many, many years. And so this, of course, is going to be no different. He'll join me at about 9.35. But beyond that, this is a time for you to reflect. Uh, we'll do it together. And let's live up to the pledge that we set. We said we would never forget. We said we would never forget. Did we mean it, or were they just words? 19 years later, I still mean it. 216-901-0945. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. I know um, this can be depressing, um, and it's not necessarily what you wish to wake up to in you know in a, in a morning for a morning radio show, especially on a conservative news talk station like this. You want to hear me get fiery, and you want to hear me talk about what Bin Laden did or Bin Laden, what Biden did. That was a slip. I'm talking about Bin Laden as well, not calling Biden Bin Laden. Uh, but what Biden did and what Biden said and what Trump has said and the, you know, the campaign and all the other things. And I do enough of that, of course, on every, every day. And I'll do a little bit of that today just to keep you up to date on the news. But, um, it's a, it's a different day and you should be depressed when you remember what was done to this country. You absolutely should be depressed. You should feel saddened. You should feel uh, morose. You should feel all kinds of, uh, of, of negative feelings. That's what we meant when we said we will never forget. This can't be something that we just say. We have to actually live it. Uh, and you have to feel it. I posted on Facebook right before we came on the, well, not right before, but about, um, uh, literally exactly 846. I posted just a little message on Facebook that said, it, it is now 8.46 a.m., please say a prayer. Say a prayer for those who were on American 11, which slammed into uh, that North Tower. 
Uh, I was getting ready to come on the air at 9.02, so I didn't get a chance to do that for 175, which went into the South Tower, or, of course, for uh, the, the plane that hit the Pentagon, 77, and, of course, Flight 93. But you understand the point. You should be thinking about this as they happen. You should be remembering where you were 19 years ago. If you were younger than that and you're listening to this program, listen to those who experienced it. Listen to those who were, who were there in some capacity, whether it be uh, watching it uh, or, or you know, maybe perhaps a little bit closer to it. But learn from them. Um, I, I I gave a speech last night, I mentioned, at the uh, Republican Club meeting, and, and the one thing I felt very, very, uh, not vindicated, validated, I guess, this morning, when I heard Rudy Giuliani speaking on Fox News this morning, and as it turns out, what I said last night in my speech in Avon to the club Rudy Giuliani echoed almost thought for thought. I talked about how we were brought to our knees in that terrible moment of darkness, um, or the moments of darkness, um, but that it was the first responders, the heroes wearing police uniforms and firefighter gear, and their heroic sacrifice as they sprinted past the victims who were fleeing the buildings, the ones who were able to stream out of the, of the trade centers of both towers, uh, they, were, they were encountering firefighters and police officers who were sprinting in the other direction. And I talked last night about how their sacrifice was, was they never hesitated. And that's why we're going to talk to Chris Rico in a few minutes about the Tunnel to Towers. He was one of them. But they climbed those stairs, endless stairs. I mean, endless. And they knew that what they were going to get when they arrived at their destination was, was probably burned to death. There was no chance of putting that fire out. Jet-fueled. There was no chance when they got there. They were just going to try to save as many people as they could before they died. They knew they were going to die. The reward at the height of a of a one hundred story climb, the reward was going to be death. And as it turns out, they didn't burn to death; they died in the collapses. But they knew that somehow or another they were done, and they did it anyway, and they did it willingly. And what I said last night was that watching those heroes, the very best of us, rushing in to save lives, even though they knew it was going to take their own. Watching the best of us is what inspired us and brought us together to defeat the enemy, to make sure that the goals of al-Qaeda, the goals of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the goals of Osama bin Laden, the goals of Mohammed Atta, and the goals of all of the jihadists, which were to destroy our way of life, which were to destroy our characters, character traits, rather, as a nation, our foundational principles, and it was the firefighters and the police officers and their sacrifices that we saw on that day that by the end of the day, we weren't even talking as much about the attacks as we were about the lives that were being saved. We talked about the heroism, and that inspired us. 
And as I made that speech last night, I was, you know, that's, those were just my thoughts. And then this morning, I turned on Fox, and Rudy Giuliani, who of course was mayor at the time, talked about the very same thing. It was our first responders that saved our country. They inspired people in a way that we could never really imagine. And so when you, when you look back 19 years later at what happened, the sadness, the depression, all of that should be there, but so should the inspiration. Do not let their selflessness and sacrifice, do not let that fade from memory either. We'll get news now on AM 1420, The Answer. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it is 9.36 now, and obviously this is such a uh, unique time, given that it is the 19th anniversary of the uh, uh, 9-11 terror attacks. Um, And it also happens to be the same day that Detective uh, James Skurnovich is being laid to rest. Uh, Officer James Skurnovich, of course, was a Cleveland police officer who was killed along with one of his informants um, just a few days ago. And uh, as you heard in our newscast there, he will be laid to rest after services that are going to be held at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, um, the arena, of course, where the Cavs and the Monsters normally play. And uh, that ceremony or those services are to get underway in about 23 minutes at 10 o'clock. And, of course, we'll have more for you on that at the top of the hour. But we, of course, uh, as we talked about on the day, uh, send our deepest prayers and our condolences and our warm thoughts of comfort uh, to the Skernovitz family and to every member of the Cleveland police family and fraternity of brothers who lost uh, a very good man who was working very, very hard, 25 years on the job, to defend and protect the people of Cleveland. So uh, uh, Godspeed to Officer James Skernovitz and uh, our very best to those who knew him the best. All right, I want to stay on uh, 9-11 right now. I told you we were going to just allow a lot of your reflections and a lot of your comments about where we are now 19 years after the fact, but I had one guest I wanted to bring on. He's been a guest on this program every year at this time for I don't even know how many years now. Uh, but uh, Chris DeRico is with the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. And the Tunnel to Towers Foundation is something we like to feature every year at this time because it commemorates the sacrifice, which is a unique and amazing one. All of the first responders who tried to save lives at Ground Zero and at the Pentagon and in the air, these weren't first responders. Or technically, you could call the passengers of Flight 93 the ultimate first responders because they were the victims who tried to respond before the actual uh, crash happened. Talk about first responders. They were ahead of the game trying uh, to save the lives, their own lives and those of everyone else on board and whatever target they may have been going after. But I digress. Uh, the first responders, particularly at Ground Zero, all of their stories were heroic, but the story of Stephen Siller was a unique one because of where he was and what he did to try to get to the buildings and save lives. And Chris Rico joins us now to remind us about that story and to remind us what the Tunnel to Towers Foundation is doing today. Chris, good to have you back. How are you? Bob, a testament to your support of our organization for having us on all these years. Uh, thank you for your support. Um, our, our pleasure to join your, your radio audience today. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Um, 
the Steven Siller story I like to tell every year, because, you know, you, you think that everybody has heard it. You think everybody knows about it. You know, maybe they see the television commercials or the news coverage of Frank Siller, Steven's brother, who is, uh, you know, the CEO of this foundation. Uh, and, and so you just kind of think everybody knows, but they don't. Not everybody knows this story. So I always like to ask you to tell it again. Talk about where Stephen was. Talk about why it's called Tunnel to Towers, this foundation, and, and, and really kind of uh, explain his unique sacrifice. Can you do that for us again? Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know you'll help me, Bob, because you know it as well as I do. But, you know, mm-hmm. when I first got involved with the organization, I got involved with it through some military connections. Um, it was that it was that organization with the funny name. It was you know nobody could ever say the name, nobody could ever get it right, and uh, it's it's now becoming more mainstream because uh, of Frank's efforts to get out there. And we can talk a little bit later about what he's done lately. But um, you know the the reason it is called Tunnel Two Towers is the uh, the way that the organization was uh, it started on nine eleven uh, because of. Uh, Stephen's efforts. Uh, Stephen had finished up his um, work day, where he's actually working in the evening, uh, his his evening at work, and uh, was leaving Squad One out of Brooklyn to go home back to Staten Island, and um, was actually going to go play golf with his brothers. And he came from a large family, and and, and Stephen was a unique individual where he uh, was actually orphaned at a young age. His parents were were passed away by the time he was like twelve years old. So he was raised by his brothers, which actually gives more, um, you know, I guess, intensity to the story. So he was raised by his brothers. He was on his way to go play golf with his brothers. And his brothers are the ones who end up uh, starting the organization. But um, on his way to go play golf with his brothers, he, he hears what's happening on his uh, scanner and pulls his truck off to the side of the uh, Brooklyn Battery Tunnel because he could not get through because it was congested with cars, and, and I don't even know if it was stopped through police action or if it was just congested with cars because it couldn't go anywhere. Right. But um, he uh, pulls his car off to the side of the road, and he grabs his gear, and his gear is estimated to be about 60 pounds. And you can't imagine how far you are from, from uh, lower Manhattan when you're in, in Brooklyn, but you're, you're pretty far away. And uh, the only way for him to get there was to go through the tunnel. So he put on his gear, and... Uh, you know, had to uh, navigate. Which was in the trunk of his car, right? His gear was in the trunk of his car. Yeah. So, yeah, so he, he had it with him because he had just gotten off of a shift. I just want to, you know, tell people. So it was there. Yeah. And he could have just said, well, I'm going to go help however I can by running, you know, in just civilian clothes, but which is sure. already a long enough journey to get to, you know, lower Manhattan to get down there to, to the World Trade Center site. Uh, it would have been tough anyway, but he said, no, I'm going to need my equipment. So he strapped on, like you said, the 60 pounds worth of gear. Um, I just want to give people a real idea of what he did. Continue, please. No, and I'm, uh, he's taking all the equipment that he has with him because he's thinking, you know, I might need any of this. So he's he, uh, he's got you know shovels with him or whatever he needs, but he's got it all with him, and he's 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 running through this tunnel. And to 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 allow people to kind of imagine this is that the tunnel now is literally backed up with every space being occupied by a car, and with all those cars running, you've obviously got fumes in the tunnel, but you also do not have any room. So now he is going to go through the tunnel, you know, as fast as he can, navigating through each and every car, and that tunnel is two miles long. And, um, you know, then he has to come out through the, the, uh, the other side of the tunnel, which, which uh, puts you into lower Manhattan, 
and then he has another mile to run to get to the towers, and then he has to climb the towers, and he was never seen again. So, you know, um, I, I I just I can't tell that story often enough, and I can't hear you tell it. I like to hear other people put it into their own words and the descriptions. You're right. I mean, if you think about it, anybody who's ever been in a congested tunnel or bridge, um, you know that some of the cars are really close to one another lane-wise, and some of them are bumper-to-bumper bumper, You know, in, in terms of their own lane. And yeah, he's got to navigate almost like a maze, kind of you know, veering in and around all of these vehicles to try to get through two miles of that. Again, carrying all of the gear, which, of course, made him wider. Uh, so, you know, again, trying probably not to scrape up cars. He's trying to get through for two miles of carrying that gear just to get. And as you point out, this is why I wanted you to tell the story, because you're right. You don't think about the fumes of all of those exhausts uh, filling up that tunnel. So you probably can hardly breathe, only to get out on the other end and still have a mile to run. So, you know, I mean, and then... And I apologize for belaboring this point, but I mean, like I said, every first responder and a lot of people who weren't first responders who were just citizens and workers in the tower who saved lives. You know, some people who saw their colleagues or even strangers and helped them. So everybody has their own unique sacrifice story here. But but Stephen Sillers is so crazy. Then after that next mile of running, as you said, gassed beyond belief, you can only imagine the huffing and puffing and how hard that was. Now I'm going to put my legs in motion to climb Lord knows how many flights before um, the tower fell that he was in. Um, that story is just a very unique sacrifice. It's why Tunnel to Towers Foundation exists. It's why Frank Siller did this. And and we'll talk now about the foundation and all of the good that it is doing. But Jiminy Christmas, uh, you know, Chris, I... I, I hear that story every time, every year I think about this, and I think about it every time it's on TV as a commercial for some of what the Tunnel to Towers is doing and as they solicit donations, you know, as a nonprofit. I, I just I get blown away by that. I mean, it almost brings a tear to my eye when I think about what this this guy could have said, man, glad I'm not on the job now, glad I'm not over there, glad I wasn't a part right. of that, and I, right. by the, I can't turn my car around, I'm stuck here. You know, and what can I do? No, who's nobody would blame me. My car is stuck in the middle of all of this gridlock in the tunnel, like everybody else's is. Nobody could have blamed him or would have blamed him. And and he, what he did to get to that site to try to save lives is just it's beyond well, he, compare. He, 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 you made a, a great point earlier, which I have never thought of. But what was stopping him from saying? you know what, I'm a first responder, but I'm not on duty. I'm just going to walk through here in my civilian clothes, try to help people out when I get on the other side, of, you know, whatever I can do, just, exactly. just as a civilian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the, story, the story has so many levels to it, and I mentioned his family earlier because, um, you know, he was orphaned at a young age, uh, raised by his brothers. So if that connection does not, you know, really, uh, you know, pull at your heartstrings, he had five kids. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. I, I, you know, I don't even think about that for, you know, those that he left behind. The sacrifice that he made knowing that what he was marching toward could very well cost him his life and would likely cost him his life and that his children would be losing their father and still he sacrificed. He still went onward to try to save lives. Chris, that's, uh, yeah, it has, it has so many levels to it. So, I mean, yeah. it, there is so many ways to think of it. And I, uh, you know, Thinking about being on today and, and talking to you and 
the way that you presented this morning is just so on point because these are the people who run towards the danger. We always say that, but these are the people who run towards the danger. And uh, the programs that the um, the organization has are the Smart Home Program, the Fallen First Responder Program, and the Gold Star Family Program. The organization started with a retracing of Stephen's footsteps the first anniversary of 9-11. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, they had about 1,000 people show up, which, you know, is a, is a nice size gathering, but for, for New York City, it's, it's kind of modest. But, uh, you know, they didn't know what to do with the funds that they received with this first first run, the commemorative run that they did, which was retracing Stephen's footsteps. Um, so they, they knew that there was a, uh, a service member, I believe he was a Marine Corps veteran who came home from the war, and his name was uh, Brendan Morocco, and he was living or was, a, you know, left Staten Island to go to war, so he is a neighbor of, of Frank Silvers and Stephen Silvers. He's their neighbor. And they knew they needed to do something for these guys coming home, so they started building smart homes for the most catastrophically injured veterans coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan. So that has morphed because of the organization has grown so much. That has morphed into three different programs, which is a smart home program for the vets, the fallen first responder home program, and then the gold star family home program for people who, who lose their members, uh, uh, that service members and the families are taken care of. So, um, the organization does so much. The website, uh, there, there's a number of people from Ohio. Uh, there, there's uh, some guys from Westerville that, that lost their life, uh, first responders that the organization has taken care of their families. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that I'm most proud of about the organization as well as you know, building the homes and stuff is that uh, they're rated very, very highly as far as an organization, a foundation. There's 93% of all the monies that are taken and go to these programs. So there's very, very low overhead. And Frank is actually a volunteer. He, he does not take anything from the organization for himself. Uh, you know, when you see this gentleman, the CEO, uh, he's literally a volunteer. That doesn't surprise so. me in the least. Uh, you know, I mean, after what his brother did and the sacrifice he made, I can totally see and understand Frank saying, this is this is not something I'm trying to profit from. This is not something I want to take a paycheck yeah. for. This is something that this is my way of, of, of volunteering and offering myself the best I can in the same way that Stephen did. There, there's so much more here, though, uh, Chris DeRico. Um, normally, there's a run in Medina, among other runs around the country, uh, the 3.2 or the 5, 3.2 miles, which is almost the exact distance that he had to run to get to the towers, uh, which is what makes it a 5K run that you have, um, you know, kind of to recreate the steps, if you will, in cities around the country. That is not going on today because of COVID. But there are other things that have happened. Can you hang with me for just a, a short break here? Absolutely. So we can come back and, and, and let's tell everybody else what else Tunnel to, Tunnel to Towers is doing right now. Absolutely. All right, we'll, uh, we'll hold Chris Dorico here and come back and tell the rest of this story for now so that you can know what is going on and how you can support the Tunnel to Towers Foundation that continues to do amazing good uh, in the wake of such a terrible, devastating loss 19 years ago today. And we'll be right back. All right, it is uh, 9.55. I've only got about four and a half minutes left with Chris DeRico from Tunnel to Towers, uh, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, and Tunnel to Towers Medina, more specifically. 
Uh, Chris, as you talked about yesterday, and obviously everybody knows there's no run this year, there's no 5K run to raise funds for Tunnel to Towers. Um, what is being done, and how can people donate to this extraordinarily important organization anyway? So, you know, a couple of years ago, Tunnel to Towers Foundation started a um, a, a char- charitable, or, uh, charitable gift program where you can give $11 a month. Uh, there's also some uh, virtual runs that are taking place. And, of course, there's no run in New York City this year. Uh, but, you know, I encourage, I encourage the listeners to just go to Tunnel to Towers with number two in it, tunnel2towers.org, and uh, just take a look at the people that they've helped over the, the, the years. And I think it will uh, make a statement itself without me saying anything. I mean, uh, recently, uh, Toledo Police Department, uh, Anthony Dia, uh, was shot outside uh, Home Depot. They took care of his, his mortgage and his family right here in Toledo. So, I mean, there's, it, it does touch all of us uh, as far as people here locally. Um, I, just, I just ask people to go to the website and, and take a look, and they'll see mm-hmm. the good that the organization is doing, in, including um, the uh, reading of the names today was not going to take place because of COVID. Uh, why you can't read a name because of COVID? I guess they didn't want a large organiz- uh, large gathering today, but uh, Frank was able to petition and get that done. So he got, and the, that's important. The, I want people to know that not only the reading of the names, but even just the the tower lights. You know, the, the, uh, the, the yeah, the, the, the lighted towers. Yes. Yeah, yeah um, they weren't going to do that either because of COVID, which is just simply ridiculous. Uh, the idea that there had to be any push to make these things happen as if they were just, ah, now there's a pandemic going on, so we're not going to honor the heroes and the victims of 9-11 again. It's just, it makes no sense. Frank Siller was instrumental, and he and Tunnel to Towers pushed forward and got the city to relent, uh, and, and they are indeed doing the reading of those names. It's going on even as we speak, 2,977 names. Um, being read uh, uh, at Ground Zero right now, so it is very important. Uh, the Tunnel to Towers, and the people know rather, the Tunnel to Towers is behind all of this. And then, of course, as you said, providing for the homes and the smart homes and taking care of first responders and veterans coming back. It's simply a remarkable uh, organization. I'm looking at Tunnel to Towers right now, Chris, uh, with the number two as you pointed out, which is the organization. And there's uh, a lot of information there about other things that are going on. There's a push-up challenge, 1.5 million push-up challenge. No, you don't have to do all 1.5 million yourself. Uh, There's a new tower climb (laughs) that is going to happen, hopefully in November uh, at One World Observatory. Uh, That is coming. Uh, And then there's just the donation boxes in the middle of the screen. And I love the $11 a month because the giant 11 looks just like the two towers themselves, standing tall, uh, support our heroes with an $11 a month pledge. You can click the link there. You can have it automatically taken out. You can PayPal it. You can do whatever. But there's so many things. And then not to be... um, uh, remiss, uh, we should point out the Tunnel Two Towers Medina dot org website as well, because that's the one that you work with, and you help organize that run every year. And this one doesn't have the number yeah. two; it's the word two Tunnel Two Towers Medina altogether dot org. And um, there's a lot of very important information there about how people can join the challenge to run biker walk in order to solicit donations to help yeah. the cause. And obviously, hopefully, next year we'll be doing everything on schedule like we normally do, but. You know, with everything that is happening in this country right now, it is good to know that we have an organization that is so committed to first responders, uh, with police officers being shot while sitting in their car and everything else that's happening. It's nice to know that we have an organization that is so above board 
I mean, these, these people are the salt of the earth people that run this organization. I cannot tell you what good people they are. Well, Frank Siller is, again, Stephen's brother, who uh, you know was among those who helped raise him, as you told the story, and he is continuing to work very hard to do good in Stephen's name and in the sacrifice made by Stephen. But I'll tell you this, Frank Siller is also very fortunate that he's got people like you working along with him and with them uh, in supporting uh, this organization, Chris. And I'm really proud to have you on each and every year. I hope we can actually talk more. Uh, especially when homes are donated and dedicated to people like uh, Officer Dia in Toledo. Anytime those things happen, please know that you've got an open well, invitation to come I onto the air and tell us about it. appreciate that, Bob. I actually heard that live when you mentioned it when I texted you, and you had mentioned it uh, live. I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, well, yeah, you know, anything I can do. Today is the anniversary of Benghazi, and we also have a Medal of Honor recipient in the uh, Oval Office today, so there's a lot going on today. I'm glad you brought up Benghazi as well. That is 100% correct. September 11th, something people don't think about because of the, uh, you know, the significance of 9-11-01. But thank you, Chris DeRico, for your great work with Tunnel to Thanks, Towers. Uh, and I hope everybody will do whatever they can to support that organization. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Chris DeRico from Tunnel to Towers Medina, helping support and tell the story of Stephen Siller, such a remarkable sacrifice, something we are all indebted to. And we'll be right back. That's how it goes. Just